the message this morning, I want to begin by showing you uh, a video clip, and the video clip basically will set up all the rest of my remarks for the morning. So uh, let's enjoy this together. Greetings from your son Joseph of Nazareth. We're still in Bethlehem, Mary and I and little Jesus. There were many things I tried to tell you about last summer. You wouldn't have believed me then, but maybe I can tell you now. I hope you'll understand. I've always loved Mary and we'd never do anything to disgrace the family. The hardest day of my life came scarcely a year ago when I was 20 and she was only 15. Trouble started after we were betrothed and signed the marriage agreement at our engagement. That same spring, Mary had left abruptly to visit her old cousin Elizabeth in Judea. She was gone three whole months. After she got back, people started wondering out loud if she were pregnant. Mary and I never acted improperly, even after we were betrothed. When I finally confronted her with the gossip, I didn't know what to say. The rest of the day I stumbled through my chores. My thoughts whirled so fast I could hardly keep my mind on my work. I couldn't contain my anger. At last I decided to just end the marriage contract with a quiet divorce. My love for her was too great to make a public scene. Something kept me from speaking with you, or anyone for that matter. I went to bed early and tried to sleep, but her words came to me over and over. How I wished I could believe her. I don't know when I finally fell asleep, Mother, but I had a dream from God. An angel of the Lord came to me. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people. From their sins. I couldn't sleep after that, but I tossed about for a while, going over the words in my mind. Then I got up and dressed quietly so I wouldn't wake you. I must have walked for hours beneath the moonless sky. I sang to the Lord Mother. Yes, me singing, if you can imagine that. I couldn't contain my joy. I told him that I would take Mary and care for her. I told him I would watch over her and the child, no matter what anyone said. I arrived home just as the sun kissed the hilltops. I don't know if you still recall that morning, Mother, but you seemed so concerned, almost embarrassed when I revealed that I wanted to bring Mary home as my wife. I knew you believed what the people of Nazareth were saying about us, but I didn't care. You'd never have believed me if I tried to explain, so I didn't. After I left you, I went up the road to Mary's house where it seemed I wasn't welcome. Her father glared at me as he opened the door. When my little Mary came out, 
She looked as if she'd been crying. I can only imagine what her family had said. She looked so young and afraid. I've never seen Mary as radiant as she was that day. I know you'll understand, Mother, because you raised me to trust in the Lord. kidding right it's a joke it, it can't be real certainly you're not telling the truth when how who Matthew finishes up the genealogy of Jesus like this and Jacob the father of Joseph the husband of Mary Joseph isn't called the father of Jesus He's the husband of Mary, of whom, Jesus, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Bad news. Mary was pregnant, and even uh, more bad news, the baby is not my own. Verse 16 of Matthew chapter 1 says this, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Scripture tells us that Joseph was a righteous man. He was a, a good Jew, very devoted to God. He had not misbehaved. He had not misstepped. He had not done something wrong to deserve what scorn would most certainly come his way. But now his reputation would be irreparably stained as far as the people were concerned. Joseph had done something wrong. He was mired in scandal. People would talk as he would walk through the marketplace. They would whisper behind his back. You know about those two. Did you hear about Mary? What was he supposed to do? What was happening to Joseph? What was happening to, to what was supposed to be the perfect life? He was going to marry this young girl that he really had feelings for and it was going to be perfect, but it wasn't fair, and he was so confused now that things were going a path that he had not chosen and had not expected. In verse 18 of Matthew 1, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Joseph and Mary were just normal people, just ordinary people. They had planned to marry like regular people would in that time. A normal marriage contract uh, in that time was really between families it was uh, uh, the families got involved and it consisted basically of three parts there was an engagement ceremony where basically the family and the bride and the groom would sign off on the whole thing and they would they would literally sign a contract and oftentimes there were dowries a, a part of that there was a, a, sometimes there was even there were even uh, stipulations for a future divorce I, as I kind of got ready for some of this I learned that I didn't realize that sometimes there were um, uh, stipulations for what would happen if there was ever going to be a divorce uh, even for lack of a better term a buyout 
uh, clause in, in this particular contract. So that was the engagement part, and it was accompanied with great you know, joy and, and excitement and anticipation. Then there was the betrothal period, which was a, a period for uh, varying lengths, but usually about a year. And, and the couple became known to everybody around as belonging to one another. It was a time where people got used to seeing them together. They still remained celibate in this time. There was no uh, sexual union in this uh, period of time, in the betrothal period. And um, it was just a, a, a way, for, they, were, they were known as husband and wife, but it was a way for um, the people in the community to be able to look at them and see them as a married couple and to kind of get used to that, and for them to get used to that. And then there was the marriage, and this is a point where the, the marriage, they became married when the husband, you heard it in the video where he talked about taking Mary into his home. When, when the bride would take the, the groom would take the bride into his home, that was uh, the point at which there would be normal marriage relations. There, there would be a, that was the point that, that the marriage really occurred. And then there would be a seven day period after that where there would be great celebration and feasts and, and uh, pretty much a week long party uh, where they celebrated what had just happened. But the second part of verse 18 says this, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Like I said, Mary and Joseph were just normal people. There wasn't anything special about them other than the fact that they were both in the line of David, which is a little something to hang your hat on. They had a a pretty good pedigree. Their lineage was good. Um, but, But I think it's important for us to understand that there are times that God uses just usual people. In fact, I would say all the time, because that's what all of us are. We're just normal people. Uh, you look through Scripture and you see God time and time again, just finding people going about their own business, just doing what life has brought them to do. And the next thing you know, they are involved in some great plan of God. And, and so in this particular exchange, it's Mary and Joseph's time to be normal people, uh, ordinary people about to be used in an extraordinary way as far as God was concerned. But in the beginning, it didn't feel like a God thing to Joseph. This seemed like anything but a God thing to Joseph. This was not uh, what, what Joseph had envisioned happening to him. This is not how it was supposed to go. You know, we, we have plans and we, we, we lay our plans and we, in our mind we've got a, a, an idea of how we want things to happen, how we want our life to unfold, what's normal, what's expected, what's right and Uh, I venture to say that if you were to ask Joseph if this was the plan he had in his mind, this wasn't the plan Joseph had in his mind. What would he do? How would he handle this? How would he handle this kind of news? Verse 19 says, Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. Joseph's faith, and I believe in in some degree, Joseph's love for Mary informs his decisions about what he will do with her. Joseph actually had several options in front of him. He could opt to protect himself and his reputation. He could opt to, to, to you know display a great scene and make a big public thing out of this whole thing and and try to protect his reputation forget mary mary you know i don't joseph could have easily said i don't know what's going on with mary i don't know how all this happened you know um but forget her i want to protect me i want to protect my reputation because joseph would have said i have done nothing wrong 
And so if he was a little more insecure and if he had been a little, um, uh, I don't know what word I want to use, but if, he, if he'd been a little less caring about Mary, he would have just made this a public thing and it would have all been at the expense of Mary. And I would just stop to say long, stop long enough to say here that had he done that, had he made a big public deal out of this, had he made a big public divorce out of this thing in an effort to protect his reputation, it is highly possible that Mary would have been subject to a stoning. Now, I don't know if you know uh, how people were stoned, but um, basically what they would do is they would lead you out to a cliff, and they would tell you to jump off the cliff. And if you didn't jump, they would push you. And then the people that were there to see that would watch you laying uh, on the ground beneath you, and, and uh, they would have rocks in their hand. And if you moved, they threw the rocks until you stopped moving. That's how they stoned people, and it was highly possible that this could have happened to Mary um, had Joseph gone ahead and made this a public spectacle and really shamed her and, and put her down because um, this was not acceptable behavior to the to the people of that time or he did have the option of divorcing her quietly which we find out uh, is what he intended to do he intended to just you know not disgrace her and not make a big deal out of it Um, maybe provide a little money so that she could go away somewhere uh, be out of sight and out of mind that was a possibility or he could go ahead and marry her something that he was in no way obligated to do But the Bible says that because Joseph was a righteous man, he didn't want to shame Mary. So the second part of verse 19 says he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And it would be done with very little fanfare, as hushed as possible. And this would more than likely spare Mary a stoning. Uh, And while he was not willing to marry her, certainly he probably still, I think he still loved her. How do you handle bad news? It's a certainty in life that you will receive bad news. Sometime in your life, the phone's going to ring or a knock at the door or you're going to be talking to a friend and they're going to share something with you that you didn't know. Perhaps it's a doctor's visit. Perhaps it's uh, you talk to one of your kids and you find out something that you really would rather not have found out. How do you handle that kind of news? You go into a rage? Do you... Do you shake your fist at God? Do you get mad at the principles involved? How we act in those moments, I think, depends largely on our view of God and our trust of Him. Upon hearing the news that that Mary was pregnant, Joseph develops a plan. He basically makes a decision about what he will do uh, with regard to his circumstance. But then we read a little sentence, and, and in this sentence, everything changes. And it's a sentence that is just packed with wisdom and possibility. And if you have a pen in your hand, I'd, I'd really like for you to circle this. It's Matthew 1, verse 20. Keep in mind, Joseph has, has made his mind up. He's got an idea of what he wants to do and how he's going to respond to the problem. But then we read this little tiny sentence in Scripture, and we need to focus in on this little sentence, I think. But after he had considered this. Is that how you handle bad news? Do you consider it for a while and do you mull it over and do you think about it or do you just rush right in? Joseph doesn't make a snap decision. Joseph doesn't uh, do anything without thinking about it first. 
We don't have the benefit of the conversation that he had with Mary. It would be very interesting to have heard that conversation, I think. But we don't have any record that he accused her of any impropriety. We, we, we don't read that he called her names or mistreated her in any way. We don't have a record that he shook his fist at God. He doesn't say, that's not fair. I've done nothing wrong. I don't deserve this. Why is this happening to me? The Bible tells us that he had a plan that he was going to quietly put Mary away. But then he considered this. And it's here that everything changes. He had a God-given chance no, I'm sorry. He had given God a chance to say something to him. Do you do that? When, when you get bad news, do you, do you give God a chance to, to say something to you in that moment? Or do you rush off in a huff? Do you take a, a immediate action? Do you uh, immediately spring into a gear that says, I've got to fix this, or I've got to make sure that I keep the water within the banks. I can't let this thing get out of control. I've got to, I've got to act. I've got to act now. I can't uh, sit back and just let this stuff happen do you do that or do you ponder do you consider this the way joseph did i mean it's okay for you to develop a plan it's okay for you i think it's natural for us to run into circumstances to maybe hear bad news and think okay this is what this is the way i need to respond to that bad news but do you give god a chance to wash over that plan do you give god a chance to consider it with you Verse 20 says, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And I think Joseph took a little time to think. I think it enabled Joseph to calm down just a little bit, to, to give God a chance to speak to him and to say some things in a frame of mind where he was ready to listen. Often when we hear disturbing news, we don't do this. We, we are so uh, concerned about the news that we the, the voice of God is a voice that we often don't hear and, and because we don't hear it we make decisions that um, maybe days or weeks or years later we wish that we could take back we wish that we had thought about it longer we wish that we'd heard the voice of God in the midst of things instead we rushed off in, in a hurry to, to take care of business ourselves oftentimes when we hear this kind of news or, or any kind of bad news we're not teachable we're not a lot of times we aren't able to be guided the way Joseph is able to be guided here because we're too busy, quite honestly, we're too busy acting. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. That would have been the, the marriage part because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. What looks like bad news to us uh, sometimes can be God-directed. My question for you would be, do you think the moment joseph heard the news that mary was with child do you think he said hey that's great no this was not a part of the plan this was way out of left field as far as joseph was concerned and he he was really not ready to hear this i mean he hadn't done anything any there hadn't been any action to where it would be possible for him to hear this and so can you imagine what it would have been like to have been Joseph to get this news and to think, oh my, what am I going to do? Have you ever had something happen to you? That when it happened, it was like, no, no, no. And then later you think, yes. You ever, did you ever date somebody when you were in high school that you just really wish God would give to you as a spouse 
and you meet him 20 years later and you think boy am I glad <laughs> am I glad God said no to that you know at the time when they broke up with you or at the time you were pursuing them or whatever and it didn't work out you maybe shook your fist at God and God how could you and and why won't you give me what I want only years later to find out no God you really do know what you're doing and and uh boy am I thankful that you're smarter than me and that you've directed some of these steps for me Joseph has paused he has a plan but he wants to think about it a little bit and and it's it's the important part here I think this is the place where many of us make our mistake Joseph this is the thing Joseph is open to a different plan when Joseph gets bad news he formulates a plan but Joseph is open to to a different plan and I think that that uh, we can be such proud people sometime that there's there are times that for whatever reason um, we, we just refuse to change our minds we get locked in on a certain thing and we decide no it has to be this way it, there can't be another way this is what I'm going to do and I'm not open to anything else don't don't talk to me about a secondary plan I'm not interested in that but here Joseph as he hears from this angel gets the official story from God and and uh, the angel gives Joseph knowledge of, a, of such a magnitude that he abandons his plan. We read verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's here that I want to stop just long enough to talk about some of the names that we read here relative to Jesus. Uh, Matthew does a great job of of, uh, dealing with the birth of the king in three different ways, basically. In verse 18, verse 21, and then again in verse 23, Matthew refers to Jesus with names, and and they're different names. In verse 18, you read that, that Jesus is the Christ. Christ means anointed one. Then you read that Jesus is Uh, the savior which is exactly what the word jesus means in hebrew it was joshua or yeshua and it literally means the savior and then later in verse 23 we read emmanuel and that that is just basically another way to say god with us and then we read in verse 24 when joseph woke up he did what the angel of the lord had commanded him and took mary home as his wife joseph is open to God's leading and is obedient to the voice of God he's, he's, his world's been rocked he in he, no way expected any of this stuff to happen and he's trying to make his way best as he can <clears throat> formulates a plan is open to a different way God speaks to him and gives him what he wants him to do and he is obedient to the voice of God that is a key in this whole thing of responding to bad news are you going to be obedient to the voice of God how different would your life be how different would my life be if i had been obedient to the voice of god and if you'd been obedient to the voice of god when you've heard it and it's not that we sometimes don't know what god is saying more to the point it's that we don't want to hear what god is saying we sometimes date people that we know god probably would not want for us to date and yet we just say, no, God, I know more about this than you, and, and they're really pretty, or 
you know, he's really rich or whatever thing you would say, you know, about this person. And it isn't that we don't know, it's that we don't want to listen. I, I've I talked to uh, kids when they're young, and as a youth pastor, I did a lot of this, talked to them about make sure that that the person that you decide to marry is a person who loves Jesus because if they love Jesus, they will know how to love you. And, you know, they look at me um, as if to say, dear man, <laughs> yeah, I know you mean well, but uh, that's not really where my mind is. I, you know, they're pretty, they're fun, they're this or they're that. But, you know, the fact that they're a Christian really doesn't matter all that much to me. Uh, and, you know, years later, many times I'll sit down with people and hear them say things like, I wish that my spouse had the same passion for Jesus that I do. Sometimes we hang out with people that aren't good for us. I spend an awful lot of time talking to young people, especially when they're getting ready to graduate. With my own kids right now is a very uh, important time in the lives of my two sons. One is in high school. The other is getting ready to start that whole experience. And I spend an awful lot of time. In fact, Tanner and I just had this conversation in the car the other day where I was talking to him about, uh, Tanner, it is so easy to make bad friends. And, and both my boys have done a really good job of selecting good friends. They make good friends, people that are good for them, that help them make good decisions. But, you know, you, you never can take that stuff for granted. So we have those conversations a lot. And I was just saying, Tanner, it's really hard to make good friends. It's hard to find people who will make you better. But those are the people you've got to look for, and those are the people you have to attach yourself to. Those are the people you want to spend time with. You don't want to spend time with people uh, that that are going to lead you down a path that you don't want to go. We'll know what's right. We'll know that we should hang out with a certain caliber of person. We'll know that certain behaviors we really shouldn't engage in. We'll, it's not that we don't know. God makes it very clear sometimes. It's that we don't want to listen. We'll often hear uh, God saying something to us about what he wants us to do with our life. That was the case with me. I pretty early on i had a pastor and youth pastor that was saying you need to go into ministry and i was thinking there's no way i'm going into ministry you, you got to stand up in front of people and talk and i'm not going to do that and uh, you've heard the story before but i said no to that and i really do think that i i was hearing god call me to some of that but no i'm going to go <laughs> this is the really funny part i'm going to go learn how to be a computer programmer this is before the PC. This is when they had, you know, computers a whole different way. And I was going to learn how to do that. And it was just a miserable experience. I basically had a, a lousy start to my college career to the point that they pretty much asked me not to come back to their institution of higher learning. And uh, at, at some point, finally, I just looked at God and said, okay, I'll, uh, I'll at least consider it. I'll at least go and prepare for it and... Um, it was at that point that I went to see my preacher and, and he said, um, well, it's really good that you've made that decision. We can stop praying now. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, uh, Doug and I, and Doug was my youth pastor, Doug and I have been praying for you for you know, three or four years now that God would make you so miserable until you finally decided to go into ministry. And that's pretty much what happened. I mean, God pretty much made me miserable until I got to the place where I said, okay, I give, you win, I'll do it. We, it's not that we don't hear 
the voice of God. We're, we're picking careers, you know, and we pick, you say, well, what other, re-? we pick careers based on how much money it's going to pay us. And people say, well, what other way is there to pick a career? There's lots of ways. Is it going to fulfill you? Is it going to be something that God can use you in? Is it going to glorify him? As I talk to my kids about what they want to do with their life, what they're going to get paid is really, I mean, you've got to live, but it's not real high on the list of, of deciding what they're going to do. I talk to them about, hey, you need to do something that you're passionate about. You need to do something that's going to give God glory. You're going to, you need to do something that, that God can use you in. Often it's not that we don't know what's right, it's that we don't want to do it. James 4.17 says, To him who knows what is right and does not do it, to him it's sin. You think about your life and you think about the times that life uh, presents you with something and you know what's right, but you just don't want to do it. The Bible says when you know what's right and you don't do it, it's sin. We, we equate sin with things that we do that are wrong, and it's not necessarily that. In this case, it's a sin of omission. To know what is right and to not do it can be sin. Verse 24 says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. Remember at the beginning of the passage, we discovered that Joseph was a righteous man. When you read there that he took Mary home, that's basically him saying, we are now married. We're going we're gonna to be a married couple. And um, it was the last of the three stages of marriage. And it was at this point um, that, that normally a husband would begin to have relations with his wife. But Joseph doesn't do that. Joseph doesn't uh, claim any entitlement. It would have been very easy for Joseph to have said, well, everybody thinks that we've done this, and so now we're just, I'm just going to do it. Joseph doesn't sacrifice his righteousness and his integrity because of his circumstances or because of what somebody else thinks about him. There's this thing that I refer to that I, I don't know whether, whether you call it a tool or or. Um, I don't really know how to describe it. It's just something that I've referred to in my life, especially in ministry. It's something that I call security in the Lord. And security in the Lord to me, I mean, you can, you can go 40,000 directions with that little phrase, but, but here's what I'm trying to say. There are times in your life when things happen and everybody doesn't know all the details and there's really no way for you to help everybody to know all the details. There might be, things being said about you that aren't true people might think things about you that aren't true you may want to scream from a mountaintop hey this is what really happened not what you think happened but this is what really happened and sometimes there's there's just no way to inform everybody of exactly what's going on you might be have your motives questioned you might have uh, be accused of something that you didn't do um, it, it could be that that the the facts got all cattywampus and and you're the only one that really knows what the facts are and i refer to this thing in my own life where it's just you have to have a security your security has to be in god where you basically say and i I, this happens a lot with me it happens very much for me in ministry life where you basically just have to get along with god and say god you know the truth and I know intimately what's going on in this circumstance because it's my life that it's happening to. These are the things that are being said and, and this is what I know to be the truth. And these are the places where these people don't understand and they, they aren't right, God, and, and there's no way I can help the broad spectrum of people to know this, but God, you know the truth and I know the truth 
And security in the Lord for me, a lot of times, is just in that prayer saying, God, you know the truth, I know the truth, and that is enough for me. That's enough for me. I don't need everybody else to know. I just need to know that you know. I need to know that you know my heart. I need, I need to know that you uh, understand that I have tried to act upright and with integrity in this particular thing. And um, You know, it's, it's a, a lot of times you, people get misunderstood. Uh, wrong motives get assigned. And security in the Lord is just basically, to me, resting knowing that God knows the truth and he's really the only one that needs to. The second part of verse 25 says, and he gave him the name Jesus. The baby was born. They named him Jesus. And the world has never been the same. What is it about Jesus? What is it about Jesus that either makes you bend a knee to him or hate him? Some people hate him, and I'm not really sure why, because Jesus never did anything to anybody that should make people hate Jesus. But you mention the name Jesus in certain circles in this country and around the world, and you, you have a major problem. Sometimes when you say the name of Jesus, it can unleash a firestorm. But here's what I'd say to you about that name. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The name Jesus means Savior. Without Jesus, we're lost. Hopelessly and eternally lost. If you're not a Christian today, you have the same dilemma that Pilate had. What will I do with Jesus? That's really the question Pilate had to answer. What, what am I going to do with this guy? I mean... You know, on some level, I think that there may be something to him, but I have a lot of pressure on me to, to get, get rid of him and to do away with him. And, and, you know, I'm just really not sure. It is possible that somebody in this room right now has gone to church for a very long time and you've heard the name Jesus your whole life and you have basically had to confront that. You try not to because you just, it's something you don't want to think about. But, but I'm going to force you to confront it this morning. What do you do with Jesus? Jesus is one of three things and you have to decide what Jesus is Jesus is either a liar because Jesus said he was the Lord Jesus said he was the Savior and you have to decide whether or not you believe that because if you, if you do then you've got to respond to that and if not then Jesus was just a liar you know people say uh, Jesus was just a good teacher. No, Jesus wasn't just a good teacher because a good teacher doesn't lie. So Jesus was either a liar or he was a lunatic. He was just crazy. He had these delusions of grandeur and, and he wasn't anywhere near what he said he was and, and uh, you know this, this idea that he was the savior of the world. Uh, you have to decide. He's either the liar, he's a lunatic, or he's who he said he was, which is the Lord. And he was sent here from God he came very humble beginnings you think about it you know when you think about it from God's perspective how else would would God send Jesus to us but at the end of the day basically you've got to decide who you say Jesus is who is he to you what does that name mean to you 
For Christians, it's everything. For Christians, it's hope. It's forgiveness. It's perfect. And Lord knows we need perfect because the Lord knows we're not. It's being able to come before God boldly because the Son of God went to a cross and died on the cross for our sins and opened a way and made a way for us to come to God. Man, that's beautiful. Who do you say God is? Who do you say Jesus is? He's either liar, he's lunatic, or he's Lord. I'm hoping that uh, this Christmas season you're beginning to settle on that idea that he is who he said he was and that he's worthy of your trust and he's worthy of, of your life and he wants you to put it in his hands. We're going to stand and sing in just a moment. You have the opportunity to respond and give your life to Christ if you've never done that. I can tell you this. I can tell you that when you give your life to Christ, life does not necessarily get easier, but it gets better. You'll have a joy you've never known. You'll know where to take your problems. You'll know you have somebody who can, can uh, help you through things. You will have a direction in life unlike any you've ever known before. And you'll have a, an eternal hope of glory in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, life most certainly will send us circumstances that we would call bad news. And how we respond to those says an awful lot about us, and it says an awful lot about what we think about you. Will we rush right in? Will we say and do things that we regret later? Or will we consider this for a while? And give you a chance to speak. And let your word and your will just kind of wash over us as we think about things so that we don't do the wrong thing and we don't do something that we might like to take back, something that we would regret later. Father, it's my prayer that, that uh, we would be a people that are mature enough to just give it a little time, to be open to your leading, to listen to your voice. And that when you speak, we would be willing to be obedient to the things that you say to us. Lord, that probably, if we're honest, that's the hardest part. We can be pretty stubborn and we can be pretty selfish. We know what we want. We know how we think things need to be. And yet we can hear your voice and be very, very tempted to ignore it. I pray, Lord, that we would mature to a point that we don't do that. That no matter how hard it is. No matter how uncomfortable it makes us, that when we hear your voice and we hear you calling us to something, we are willing to do it. That we would be obedient to you. Lord, how would our lives be different if we'd ever done that? So this morning, Father, I pray for those in the room who, who don't know what it is to respond to the call of Jesus on their life. And that today might be the day that somebody is able to say, I became a Christian today. Father, we pray to that end. At this particular time of the year, we thank you for the birth of Jesus, that tiny baby that would become the Savior of the world. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.